Welcome back to Late Bloomer, a podcast on everything that goes in the ground. I'm playing around with the tagline, you see, and figured this one was general enough that I could never run out of subject matter. After all, everything ends up there at some point. I don't say this to be morbid. Dirt is a gentle thing. Dependable, too. Perhaps taking the longest path to this collective destination. It snowed again recently. Frost set in rather quickly this year. It's a weird time for gardeners, though there's always work to be done. It changes significantly in the winter what our work looks like. We have our quote-unquote harvest with the fall season, and winter is a time of protecting what you made and planning for spring. Putting your greenery to bed or protecting them from cold drafts. Winter is about protection. Though it is winter we need protection from in this case, winter also helps in that it requires us to rest. Resting can be a difficult thing and only something as cruel as the cold can convince us to stop for a while. Luckily, there are plants to fuss over. To protect from the draft by the window, I put my old holy or single socks to use. Placing the pot in the toe, I roll the sides down until it is hugging the pot and not the plant. This way, they have a little sweater to keep the roots from cold damage. Practical and cute. If you're cold, they're cold. My violet has been blooming non-stop. I have no idea what's gotten into her. But I won't complain, it's very pretty. My fig leaf fern has been doing exceptionally. Contrary to my other plants, it thrived in the move. I found this perplexing, as it had been kind of sad and turned right around after this. A week later, I discovered online the correlation. For indoor fig leaves, it is recommended that you give them a shake every day in their pots. This mimics the wind which in nature helps strengthen young ferns in order to grow to a more sturdy stalk. Apparently, it enjoyed the bumpy ride. Goes to show, I guess. Even with plants, everyone's needs are different. This means that to continue its healthy growth, I now take some time out of my day to shake my plant. It's quite nice, short as it is. It's meditative, feels good. Taking a piece of the day for this, no matter how hectic. I also like it for the fact that it's yet another act of care I can perform for my plants. Almost like finding out a friend's favorite color or chocolate bar. Cold is, unfortunately, not the only thing I've had to worry about. 
stalking through my home these days is a horrible little creature known as Maxwell, or Max for short. He is a cat. He is very cute. And hell-bent on eating any plants that do not possess thorns. Like my plants, he finds himself acquainted with the business end of a mister these days a lot. I get terribly upset when he goes for one. It is in his nature, however. He has no malice in his actions, only a genetic code dating back farther beyond the reaches of history that urge him to consume. Or simply to explore the world with his mouth. Humans, with their hands, are lucky to have such dexterous and sensitive tools on the ends of their arms. We can create. Peace becomes easier. But the urge never leaves. It is a raw sleeping power in us. Not bad, but only to be used when absolutely necessary. A primal emergency backup system that I share with my house cat. Hands allow us to cultivate and curate our plants to better understand them. I often wonder what my plants think of Maxwell. To them, he must be a terrifying beast, a bringer of destruction and pain. They must wonder why I live with him if I profess to love them as much as I do. This led me to think of the dichotomy of good and evil, as my mind wanders to great lengths these days. Perhaps the devil is akin to God's cat, a small, cherished agent of chaos with an unbreakable bond to the very thing supposed to save us. How can I, as quote-unquote God, justify the continued allowance of the devil's deeds to my plants? How do I justify it to myself, for that matter? I'm not sure. It would explain why such terrible things are allowed to happen to us. The issue with that particular argument for atheism is it is possible there is a God and that that God both loves us and lets bad things happen to us. It is quite possible God could not give us an answer either. I certainly couldn't give my plants one. I could understand why they might hate me. There are, perhaps, things God cannot quantify and we cannot hope to understand. Luckily, I think they would find the notion of me being a god for them quite funny. Nor do they see the point of hate. Not to say plants can't commit acts of violence, of course, but hate doesn't factor into their calculations. Only their continuation on their particular turn of the wheel. 
Aware of their cycle and interconnectedness to the universe, they are closer to gods, as both the things that shaped this earth and what will inherit it once humans are long, long gone. What a terribly funny blip in this solar system, humanity. I believe plants may remember us, after, but I doubt they will think of us neither fondly nor with anger. Some plants bounced back after moving, after repotting, after receiving a bit too much water in my more mania-rooted moments. Others have not. My succulents have been giving me a lot of trouble. Or I'm giving them trouble. The season becomes harsh and pleasant with such a frequency that I think it makes them finicky. I'm trying my best to bring back some from the dead, but I know I'll have to get reacquainted with loss fairly soon. I feel more prepared for it this time. I'm not as torn up about the idea as I was when my tomato snapped in half. I'm unsure why I feel zen about it, Perhaps I'm adjusting to the fact that it is an inevitability. It could also be that winter is, seasonally, a contemplation of death. I recently learned about the hearse song. A morbid tune about worms crawling in and out of you, originating somewhere after World War I. It was in a delightfully wicked metal remix that I first became aware of it, and its unsavory lyrics. It stuck with me, however, for two reasons. First, how like humanity it is to make a joke of death in order to defang it. There is something about gratuitous humor like that that feels infantile. Not in the maturity level of the joke itself, but in its obvious puffing of the chest to appear not frightened. It's a coping mechanism. In the comedy of death and in the comfort of flaunting how unafraid you are. The thing is, the song may be gross in language, but what happens is not scary or creepy as they make it. The song takes a very real process and describes a narrative purpose to it. Stories are comforting. The idea that a worm deliberately feasts upon you in a grotesque display is a comfort in that it gives the process a purpose and gives your body meaning. The West is awfully hung up on the importance of corpse. This is to say, the song is not frightening because in it there is deliberation in desecrating your body, and so your body has value according to this narrative. The reality of the matter could be a lot more frightening. That there is no forethought towards you in the mind of a worm, only an impulse. You are not a person in that moment. You are a fuel source. 
There is nothing wrong with using stories to understand processes. But if that is what we are doing, then what is the harm in seeing this process as something sacred and beautiful? The turn of a wheel. A primal pact made too long ago for any to really understand. We are fuel for the world, coming and going. The planet is a self-sustaining biodome and us, simply facets of it. We are all experiencing everything in this way, as we are the Earth. We are here in a similar fashion that there is rain on Jupiter. Beauty is a useful tool. To see beauty in something is to give it a closer look. So I have worms on the brain, and fruit flies, and household spiders. I have started actively hunting for bugs in my home. This is due to the newest addition to my family. Cerberus, the Venus flytrap. Names are arbitrary to plants, who know themselves better than we could ever hope to. I have myself have many names, as do you. I have a very good reason for giving my plants names. It's cute, and it brings no harm to anyone that I have noticed. Helps me get to know them, too. Beauty, closer look and all. I am so tired of cynicism. Why not get romantic? Anthropomorphism aside, I have something shameful to admit. I did not come by Cerberus through honest means. He was liberated, let's say, from the cruel jaws of the Canadian tire. It was miserable looking in my defense. Clearly no idea how to take care of them. I performed an act of charity by slipping it into my bag. Now you know I'm a thief. And that I reside in Canada. That's no good if they're listening. We shall see. I am nothing if not patient. Perhaps to a fault. I digress. My newest member of the home has settled a bit, but is still in recovery from its abuse. I drenched the thing in water, misted, cut off dead heads. There's something satisfying, caring for such a dying plant. I love doing things for them, as earlier stated. This one was weak, brown, more soil than plant, 
some color is returned to the leaves now. It is no longer bent over. I've taken to coddling it in this precarious stage of its existence, moving it around with the sun and guarding it heavily from the cat. I've taken to misting it multiple times a day, like vegetables in a grocery store. I have faith it will recover, and that is good. And it may still die, and that is good as well, that I should help with its passing. Plants need attention. Like with the cat, sometimes it does not want food or water, but to share your space and breathe with you. Cerberus did not come into my life alone. She is surrounded by peat moss. I wonder at the conversations they have so far away from where they're native to. What does Cerberus think, born and bred under the fluorescence of a hardware-slash-home-goods store? Can they feel something off, settled in the apartment of an unemployed person halfway across the world from whence they originated? Their history is entwined to soft, luscious, heated rainforests, the likes of which Cerberus has never been to. But that is where their story began. Do they feel a pull to some idea of where their home is? Is there innate knowledge of its old terrain? It must feel something is wrong on some level. What a legacy to leave carnivorous plants. A plant that hungers. I've been thinking a lot about consumption, but not of meat. There's a hunger for clarity. Overconsumption of media doesn't seem to quell it. Nor does it help with the loneliness accompanied with owners of a self-aware brain. Perhaps you're lonely out there. I can sense you the studio, if you want to be here, that is. Which you do, if you are who I am sensing now. I have been lonely too, many times. The cold, aching kind that cuts to the bone like the wind the kind that saps your strength and twists your organs into greasy knots. Like my plants, you ought to have someone share their space with you. Which is why I invite you to share a breath with me. Allow me to set the scene. It is dusk where I am. 
I'm hunched over a microphone, under a blanket to help with sound quality. It's rather cozy, but there's room. Come in. First, let me say I see you. And I know you're trying your best. Even if you don't think it's your best, it is for where you are right now and how you're doing. Let me also say I care for you, whether we have met or not. As I've mentioned in prior casts, love is a necessary toolkit in the garden. That's what has kept so many of them alive in the end. I cannot brag it was my love alone, but it is something needed. And it is something expressed not just in words, in the sharing of breath. Let's begin. Breathe in. And out. In. Out. Apologies, I... Hello? Just breathe with me. I don't know if they're home. Then we'll wait. so much for tuning in to Late Bloomer, and as always, as long as it takes, grow where you are planted. <laughs>